So we're going to continue our little series, kind of a mini-series, uh, on the songs of Christmas. And today we're talking about a dude named Simeon, and he was uh, most likely very old. I was trying to think of who, who's still a singer that's really old, an old dude that sings. Uh, do you know of anybody? Tom Jones is still singing? Is he alive? Yeah. Okay, that's good. All right. It's harder to sing when you're dead, uh, honestly. Who? Chris, he's still around too? <laughs> Gosh, okay. Um, well, there's the guy from the Rolling Stones. Uh, he's like a thousand, but I'm pretty sure he's pickled. Uh, so that's, what's his name? Keith Richards is around. And uh, um, Willie, Willie, yeah, yeah. He's, he's preserved too. Yeah, okay. All right. So Simeon is, oh, where's my little clicker? Uh, is an older guy who, um, and, and maybe sort of the principle of the day is being at the right place at the right time is really important. He was at the right place at the right time. Now, I don't know if you ever found yourself at the wrong place at the wrong time, but I have found myself there. I, I heard a story this week, and I liked it a lot. Um, this uh, teenage girl had her boyfriend over Christmas Eve, and the father is very patient but the night gets later and later, and it's time for him to go, and he doesn't seem to be moving to leave. And so he, go, he goes into the den where this young couple is, and he says to the boy, I need you to move your car. And the boy said, well, is, uh, am I blocking somebody in? He said, no, you're at the wrong address. Uh, you need to go, you need to move your car to someplace else. So uh, being at the right place at the right time is really important. So today we're talking about this this hymn, and it's called in Latin the Nunc Dimittis, which means now Lord. It's the first two words in this particular song in Latin. And so all of these songs that we're looking at in this little series have a Latin name. Uh, last week was, do you all remember what the last week one, Mary's song? Ma, nif, what? No, no, that's wrong. Uh, Magnificat. It's almost the same. It's really kind of very similar. All right, so it, it's interesting if you look at um, the world picture. And so I, I lo always love those shows behind the music. Even if I didn't like the band, I like to know kind of what was a backstory about them. And so there's a backstory to Simeon that we need to understand. Next week we're going to look at the backstory of a guy named Zechariah, and it's really interesting too. But just so you understand a little bit about the world that uh, Jesus was born into, uh, let's think about maps just for a minute. So I have a Waze app on my phone. Some of you use Google Maps. What else is there? Is there there's, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of map uh, apps. And I like it because it will tell me sort of the ETA. And so I don't know, I don't know if any other men do this, and maybe ladies do this too, but when you put, the, um, you put where you're going in, and it says ETA 1108, now uh, my challenge in life becomes to get there at 1107. Is anybody else like that? Because that's me. It's like, okay, 1108, my, that's for chumps. Uh, you know, I'm going to get there at 1107. So... Maps are are interesting, and really, who the person making the map uh, is the one sort of dictating uh, an idea. So every map that we know of, I, I guess everyone you and I have ever seen has uh, Europe and and North America on on the top, 
Well, the reason is because the people that make the maps are typically North Americans or Europeans. And so they made maps to reflect their idea of the world. It's not just the world, it's a worldview. And so it's really, really interesting. So we Americans have this notion, or we 21st century people, have a notion that in the Middle Ages, everybody thought the earth was flat. It's not particularly true. In fact, most educated people knew the earth was round a long, long time ago. But in the 1850s, there was a book, and let me see if I can find it real quickly. There was a book by a guy named uh, Washington Irving who wrote a sort of a, a loose biography on the life of Christopher Columbus. And in this biography, he writes that Columbus has this debate with the church leaders, and the church leaders are against Columbus because they say the world is flat. This actually never happened. It was a figment of Washington Irving's um, imagination, but it took hold in the cultures, and so now uh, everybody believes that, oh, the middle-aged people really weren't that bright. They kind of thought the earth was flat. That's kind of not true. And I don't know if you've ever met people, but like northerners, uh, you know, pardon me if you're a northerner, but, you know, I'm a southerner, kind of. I'm a Mason-Dixon guy. I guess I'm on the line. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we'd move, we moved to Michigan, and the Michigan people, were, were, they kind of talked down to the southerners. You know, they felt like they were better than us because they could wrap Christmas presents without duct tape. I mean, really, just stuff like that. And, and so you, you have this, the people in charge sort of set the narrative. So in the Middle Ages, and then way before, a long time ago, they used to make maps, and the interesting thing about the map was Jerusalem was in the center, because to them, Jerusalem was this place where heaven meets earth. Now, in our way of thinking, most of us have the idea that there's heaven and there's earth and they're separated. There's like this, this vast gap between heaven and earth. But in Israel, they thought about it differently. There's heaven and earth, but there's a place where they meet. Like it overlaps. And the place where it meets is the temple. That's the most holy place. That's where God's presence is. And that is the place where heaven meets earth. And every place on, on the planet was, was not as holy as that particular place. They believed that heaven meets earth right at the temple. And in Habakkuk, and that's one of the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, it says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. And that sort of reflects this idea that heaven and earth connect in a very special way at the temple. And that's important for our story today because today Jesus, baby Jesus, is at the temple and he encounters a dude named Simeon. Now, Jewish people have very uh, strong traditions, uh, circumcision, uh, dedication, uh, offering, all those kinds of things. And Jesus' parents were Jewish and they were good Jewish people. And so they followed the traditions of their elders. And so that's where we find ourselves. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, and we're going to pick it up in verse 21. So here we go. Eight days later, eight days after Jesus' birth, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. A, child wasn't, a, a boy wasn't given a name until the eighth day. That's when he was circumcised, and that was when he was given 
a name. Next week we're going to see that John the Baptist was born and everybody thought he was going to be named after his dad and on the eighth day he was named John and that was a big deal. It was different, kind of unique. And so the eighth day was the day the child, a boy child was named. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. And then it was time for their purification offering. Now this happened 40 days after the birth. As required by law of Moses after the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present, to present him to the Lord. Um, and we'll talk about it in just a second. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offer the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is an indicator that Mary and Joseph were very poor because that's the offering for poor people. There's a, another offering if you had some sort of wealth. And so we can um, read into this and we can know that uh, the, Jesus' parents were likely very, very poor people. And we, we skim through this a lot of times. We don't really concentrate on it because it's not part of our culture particularly. Uh, we don't have a naming ceremony. We don't have a dedication ceremony. I mean, we do that on uh, certain days uh, of the year, like around Mother's Day, we have a, a, a child dedication, baby dedication. We do that sometimes here, but this was strict. They, they, they adhered to certain things, and there were reasons. So in the Jewish mind, the meaning behind the rituals were these. Circumcision was a picture of being in a covenant relationship with God. God is the one who prescribed this with Abraham. And so this had been done by the time of Jesus for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is just a tradition. And so it connected you kind of with God. Uh, being given a name meant a person had an identity before God. And we know names mean a lot, uh, have a great uh, a meaning to people. Um, dedication to the Lord meant that you were given a purpose from God. And so they would dedicate this first son to the Lord. And the idea was he would do whatever God wants him to do. Now, when we are today baptized, we ask a couple of questions. Uh, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins? And do you promise to do whatever he asks you to do? That is sort of a, a dedication ceremony. I'm dedicating my life to do what God wants me to do. And a sacrifice, they offered these uh, uh, turtle doves or whatever, uh, uh, occurred in the temple as a picture of being forgiven by God. And so the folks that did these traditions, that adhered to these traditions, did so... In the temple, circumcision wasn't in the temple, but the dedication was in the temple because it was, to the Jew, the most holy place on earth. It's where God meets earth. It is more holy than any other place. And if you're going to dedicate your child to the Lord, what better place to do it than at the temple? And so we all have these places that we feel are special. Maybe it was where, you know, you uh, ask your wife to marry you. Uh, for, for us in Kentucky, the most special place in the state is Rupp Arena. That's where Kentucky plays basketball. I mean, we have these places that are super special to us, and everybody has them. Well, for the Jews, the special place was the temple in Jerusalem. And so Mary... And Joseph, they take their little baby boy who is now 40 days old, and they take him to the temple to offer a sacrifice and to dedicate him. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this is really, really important. 
Luke is a historian. He's also a physician, we know that, but he is a, he's the consummate historian. And so he is meticulous in how he recalls these events. Now, he wasn't here, but he certainly uh, had interviewed Mary about these events, and so he knew about them. But in Jewish law, for something to be true, there had to be two or three witnesses. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. But in the beginning of Luke, there are three witnesses that are given to uh, who Jesus is. You have Mary and Joseph, they attest to who he is. And then you have, today we're going to talk about Simeon, and he attests to who Jesus is. And then you have an older woman named Anna, and she attests to who Jesus is. And the Jews were, they were waiting for a day. And, and so Luke is saying, hey, hey, this is the Messiah. It's really important because he knew, he understood the context is the Jews were waiting for the day when God's occupy the earth wouldn't just be the temple, that it would go beyond the temple. And so the Jewish people were waiting for the moment when Messiah would come and the rule of God would inhabit all the earth. Messiah, the coming of Messiah was so important to them because right now in their mind, the only place that's really holy is the temple. But when the Messiah comes, that will kind of explode all over the world. And they were waiting for this day when Messiah would come and the Occupy Earth plan would, would break out and people all over would, would see the Messiah. So this is where we find ourselves. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Simeon means, um, let me see, uh, hurt, hearing of God or um, God has heard, something like that. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. They're occupied by the Romans. Not, not, only, is, not only is the rule of God not breaking out, the rule of God is constricted because the Romans are constricting it. They can't even live the way they want to because they are occupied by another country. And so uh, you understand the Old Testament ends uh, with Malachi and he's talking about, hey, <laughs> God's going to do some things. And then there's a 400-year time gap before Jesus comes. And so for 400 years, the Jews have been waiting for Messiah to come. And that is a long time to wait. I mean... That's generation after generation after generation after generation. Now, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It's really interesting. One has to wonder about such, such uh, proclamations from God. Uh, we had a little lady at our church when I was growing up. Uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, she was the church librarian. She was sweet as she could be. And she had a premonition that she wouldn't die before the second coming of Christ. And, and she was wrong. I mean, she's long past gone, uh, long since gone. And, and yet, here is Simeon, and he was holding out hope. Okay, so a 400-year gap. For 400 years, this hadn't happened. But for some reason, Simeon really believed, he held on to the hope that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah. Now, we have some clues about this. He was righteous. Well, righteousness means being in a right relationship with somebody. So he's right with God. So think about it like this. Um, 
you're, you're married. Everybody that's married will understand this. Sometimes you're in, really, you're in sync with your spouse, and sometimes you're not in sync with your spouse. You, you, right? I mean, that's just how it works. It's, it's the same with fr- friendship. Sometimes you're in sync with your friends. Sometimes you're not in sync with your friends. It just kind of depends. And so there are seasons, and most of the time, hopefully, uh, you know, the worst case scenario is it, it ends in separation or divorce, or you lose a friendship. But most of the time, you know, you're in sync more than you're not. You, you work to be in sync. I heard about this one lady. She was older. She... One day, went to the store, and she, she shoplifted a can of peaches. Well, she got caught. She goes before the judge, and you know her husband comes with her, and she goes before the judge, and the judge says, well, what did you steal? And she said, I just stole one can of peaches. And he said, okay, well, how many peaches were in the can? And she said, well, there were six. He said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sentence you to jail for six days. And her husband raised his hand and said, she also stole some corn. Uh, so um, you, you have to understand, sometimes you're out of sync with your spouse. That's funny, I don't care who you are. Uh, sometimes you're out of sync with, with someone. Well, when it says, whenever you read the word righteous, and you see it all the time around this story of Jesus, Mary was righteous, Joseph was righteous, Simeon was righteous, Anna was righteous, Zechariah was righteous. These are all righteous people. These are people who are in a good place with the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever felt sort of out of sync with God. Um, I have. I think most of us have. When I'm, and, and sometimes it's not, I mean, when you sin, you're sort of out of sync. I mean, you kind of know that. But sometimes I just, I'm doing all the right things and I don't always feel as close as I want to. Well, so here we have Simeon, and he's righteous. And then the word also says he's devout. That's another word. Devout, the word in some translations will say cautious. He was careful how he lived. He was careful to what, what he said, what he did, where he went. You know, one of the things that, that uh, the Bible tells us is that we'll put no, uh, we should put no unclean things before our eyes, and, and it's easier than ever to do that. And so here we have a man who was very cautious about such things. And we think we invented some of this stuff. Like, we invented, you know, uh, uh, raunchy things. There were raunchy things. That's just human nature. There are raunchy things to be seen. And so Simeon was a person who was very cautious in the way he lived. And then it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, typically what that means is God helps a person say the right words. It's not always the way, but typically when you see somebody uh, is, uh, has the Holy Spirit upon them, they're saying things for God, and, and it's important. Now, Samson was a guy who the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he did things like, like mighty acts of strength for God. So it's not always words, but in Simeon's case, think about him. He didn't start a movement. <laughs> he didn't have a blog. I mean, really, he's an old dude that shows up at the temple and he watches and he prays. And this is his life. He is a righteous man. He's a careful man. He's a, a man filled with the Spirit. He has an inclination that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah, which has been 400 years in the making. And he watches, 
And he prays. And this is who he is. And the religious cultural setting was horrible. Incredibly divided. You've seen all these words before. The Pharisees, well, they were, they were people who believed in rules. And they, they bound everybody up in rules. They were, they were legalists. And everything was about a rule. And, and they obeyed the rules meticulously. And they looked down on everybody who didn't obey the rules meticulously. Jesus had a lot of trouble with these guys. He didn't, he didn't like them very much. He, he said things like they put burdens on people that they won't carry themselves. They, they do everything for show. If you don't think Jesus didn't like the Pharisees, uh, they're the ones he calls whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. So he's really not very uh, hip to the Pharisees. And then you had the Sadducees. So the Pharisees were legalists. The Sadducees were liberalists. They were liberal. They, they, uh, they denounced angels and, and like the second coming, and they denounced the resurrection. I mean, they, they, just, they were just sort of liberal, you know? They, they got in bed with the Romans. Uh, they had religious power, but they really didn't have any religious uh, moxie to them. And so these are polar opposites. The Pharisees are legalists. Uh, the Sadducees are liberals. And then you have the zealots, and they are, they're just, uh, they're rebellion. They're, they're like, we want, we're insurrectionists. They want to take over the government by force. They want to kill people. Uh, they want to uh, kill the Romans and, and get them out of power, and they want to take over their city. And so they are the ones who are sort of these, they politicize everything, and they believe that the only means for Messiah to come is if they start the process by taking over the country. What's really interesting to me is Jesus, as one of his disciples, was a zealot. Simon the Zealot. He, he saw in Jesus a different way. And then you have the Essenes. Now, you might not know a ton about them. Uh, these are the ones, they were separatists. They decided, uh, I, I'm just, we just don't want to have anything to do with anybody. And so they would live in caves, and they would live far away from everybody, and they just... Um, they were sort of like preppers in our day. They kind of had communes in places, and they, they, just, they just got away from it all. You know, I can't stand the way life is in the world, so I'm just going to go be, I'm, I'm just going to go be with my people by myself. Uh, and this was how divided it was when Simeon was around and when Jesus was born. Lots of division among the religious people in Israel at the time. All right, so this is the setting. And then this happens. Uh, Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel from all of this mess. And I don't know about you, but when I talk about this, it sounds a lot like all of our mess. Because we live in a world where there are people who are uh, you know, uh, hyper-political, and then there are people who are hyper-liberal, and there are people who are uh, just want to just be done with it all. And, and it, it, it's just interesting to me. Their world and our world are very similar. And you have Simeon, and he, again, doesn't start a movement, doesn't have a blog, he's not on Twitter. <laughs> he watches, and he prays. And this is his life. And the thing about waiting is this. The question isn't, 
Am I getting everything I'm waiting for? So every time we're disappointed, and disappointment is part of life. We, uh, Elise and I watched volleyball last night, and in every game, somebody wins and somebody loses, unless it's soccer. Uh, then you can get a tie or hockey. Uh, but in most, most sports, there's winners and losers. And when you get to tournament, somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. And last night, we watched this game, and we watched these girls crying because they had lost. And waiting isn't about getting everything you want. The question isn't, am I getting what I want? The question really is, when you wait, the question is, who am I becoming while I'm waiting? Am I, getting, am I getting better in the waiting? Because honestly, Simeon, he could have just given up, but he didn't. And I don't know what you're waiting for. Different people are waiting for different things. Some people are waiting you know, for somebody to love. And some people are waiting for a better job or a job or purpose in life. And some people are waiting for a prodigal child to come home. And some people are waiting for the economy to come back so they can retire. And some people are waiting for their marriage to be healed. I don't know what you're waiting for. And the question really isn't, will I get what I'm waiting for? The question is, who am I becoming while I wait because that's really the issue. Um, sometimes God puts obstacles in our, our paths. And here's the truth of the matter. We want microwave solutions to problems that took a long time to develop. Right? This is going to shock you. I'm, I'm glad you're sitting down. This is shocking news. But when Miriam and I first started dating, uh, she would come over to my apartment and I would make for her a delicacy called microwave brownies. And they were horrible. Just so you know. Uh, do they even sell those? Do they sell them anymore? They were horrible. Uh, they were gooey on the inside and rubbery on the outside and the outside was the best part. I mean, it, they were just horrible. We, we want microwave solutions and really... <laughs> God often is a, a simmer problem solver. He's like a crock pot. And the thing about crock pots is this. I don't care what you put in there. When it comes out, it's great. You could put dirt, sticks, and rocks in a crock pot and leave it for six hours, and it comes out great. I have never seen anything like it. The crock pot is awesome because there is a, a slow simmering process that makes things better. Or it could make you bitter. <laughs> you get to choose. And sometimes we wait, and we're not accustomed to waiting. We live in a microwave world. We want things fast. We want the internet fast. We want cars fast. We want everything fast. And sometimes, like with Simeon, the answer isn't, hey, I'm going to give this to you fast. There's, the Bible talks a lot about this. There's something to be said for timing. And about Jesus, the Bible says, at just the right time. Now, think about all the things that had to happen. 400 years of silence from God, yet He was still working. 400 years of silence. But you know what was happening in those 400 years? Well, a common language. Koine Greek was being developed and, and being established all over the world. Now, if Jesus had come 400 years earlier, there was no common language, but Koine Greek was a common, a common language. Sort of everybody knew it, and that happened in that 400 years. 
and a road system was being built. And it was, we've all heard this expression, all roads lead to Rome. Well, that's because a road system was being developed in that 400 years. And so when the gospel came at just the right time, as the Bible says, then the good news about Jesus could be disseminated clearly and effectively, efficiently, across the, the world because there was a common language and there was a road system that was developed in the silence. It's not so much, am I getting what I want? It's what am I becoming while I'm waiting and it's an important lesson for us. Just, just think about if Simeon, like a week before Jesus came, what, what if he had just given up? I'm so tired of waiting. What if he had given up? I mean, the thing we know about Simeon is he waited and he prayed and he was rewarded. And this is what it looks like. Simeon starts this song or this prayer. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. So the baby comes in. He sees them as you promised. Um, Sovereign Lord, now that your servant can die in peace as you promised. I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. And this is the song of Simeon. And you can imagine, here are poor little Mary and poor little Joseph, and they are this young couple with this 40-day-old baby. And this old man approaches them, and he says these words... And the Bible says, the next verse says this, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Well, you think? I bet they were. It's pretty heady stuff. Let's go back to it just for a second. I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. 400 years of preparation. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people. I mean... You say that about one of my kids, I'm going to marvel at it as well. I'm going to be amazed at it as well. And if the story ended here, it is a very nice story. And then it gets odd, because Simeon doesn't stop. Then Simeon blesses them, the parents. So he had blessed the kid, now he blesses the parents. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. And with that, as far as we know, he turns around and he walks away. And that's just a little bit odd. But it is a prophecy and this whole notion about a sword will pierce your soul. Can you imagine that when Jesus is on the cross 30 years later, 33 years later, and a soldier pierces his side with a sword, can't you just imagine that as Mary watches her son being pierced with a sword, she remembers the words of Simeon 33 years earlier. See, Jesus was the fulfillment of our waiting he was the one that was to come. 
And Jesus and the temple have this sort of symmetry. They, they're kind of, you see them together a lot. Jesus goes to the temple. He, he drives, uh, you know, the money changers out of the temple. There's always stuff going on with Jesus and the temple. He doesn't stay there all the time, certainly, but, but you see instances of his life at the temple often. And the only uh, recollection that we have, only account of Jesus as a boy, comes when he goes to the temple. And they go to the temple. Uh, the temple, again, was so special to the Jews, and they would go three times a year, very devout Jews would. And so his parents had taken him to the temple when he was 12 years old, and he had stayed, and his parents couldn't find him. They, they start heading home, and they can't find him. and they, they, It's like home alone. Jesus was the first home alone. And, uh, and, and so they come back to find him, and his mother said to Jesus, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, Jesus said. Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? This is the place that is closest to heaven on earth. And it just made sense to him that that's where he would be. One more thing about the temple you have to really understand. And, and Jesus hated this, and the Jews hated this. But the temple was also the place where banking took place. And so accounts were kept. And the Romans knew who owed money because there were records kept in the temple of the Jews that owed money. And if they wanted to, if they wanted to cancel somebody out, if they wanted to ruin someone, they would go get the paper, they would go get the, the debts, and they would make sure that they taxed this person into oblivion so that they could take over their property and they could make a person a peasant. And you can imagine that the Jewish people hated this. And sometimes there would be rebellions, and the rebellions would rise up, and they would go to the temple, and they would burn the paper. They would burn the, the documents that said who owed what because they didn't want the Romans to have that kind of power over them. And Jesus said these really strange things, like, I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. And when he said that, the audience would have gasped. <laughs> it's like nobody said they're greater than the temple. Because the temple was where heaven meets earth. No one was greater than the temple. Yet Jesus said, hey, there's one greater than the temple. Here, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And they were befuddled by this. Well, no. I mean, this took 40 years to build. How are you going to build it back in three days? That's just crazy talk. And then later they understood that Jesus was talking about his resurrection. And they started putting the pieces together. Oh, when Jesus is talking about the temple, he's talking about himself. It's as if the earthly temple was a reflection of Jesus. Heaven and earth meet. Not in a physical place, but in a physical person. And his name is Jesus. See, when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple, they thought they were entering the house of God. What they were doing was they were bringing God home. And there's this, there's this show on television called House Hunters International. Anybody ever see that? These, 
<laughs> yeah, you have. Uh, there are people who are moving from the United States and they're going overseas. Uh, typically, they're obnoxious Americans who have never seen a refrigerator that's not, uh, you know, 25 feet wide. Uh, oh, how are we going to put our groceries in there? I hate Americans when they are on that show. Anyway. It's like we come across like little spoiled brats. It's like, do you realize you go to the store more than once a month? Anyway, Householders International, this is the whole theme of the show. Uh, these people, let's say uh, Greenville, South Carolina, you're a couple and you're going to move to uh, Budapest, Hungary. Okay? So there's a realtor in Budapest, who knew? Uh, and she's showing you or he's showing you some apartments or some places. And they always have a budget. You know, my budget is uh, uh, $1,000 American uh, a month. And, and they'll show you what you can afford for $1,000 American a month. And every time, without exception, it's never enough. <laughs> because the Americans, their, their wish list is, well... I'd like seven bedrooms and four bathrooms, and I'd like a pool, and I'd like some uh, green space for my puppy, you know, and, and for $1,000 a month, you can get a hut. You know, it's kind of, it's always the way it works in this story. And so she'll show them these three places, and basically they pick the better of three evils, because they, no, they don't like anything, and they never like anything. Well, the story of Jesus coming to earth is almost like House Hunters International with really cool people. And it's as if <laughs> the realtor of earth says to God, okay, well, we have this temple. Uh, and he's like, no, no. Uh, well, we have a palace. No. And then they, <laughs> the realtor of earth says, well, Jesus, you could be born like to poor people and live in a small place. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. It's exactly what, exactly what I want. And here's what's really interesting about this temple on earth thing. What happens on earth is that sins are forgiven. When heaven comes to earth, sins are forgiven and relationships are restored and good things happen and we feel the presence of God and we are in sync with Him and we become righteous as well. And here's something else. God wants heaven to invade earth through us. Look at what Paul writes. Paul is this guy who writes much of the New Testament and he understands this whole concept. He was a, a Pharisee, he understood all that, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus. And he, he writes this, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so every time we do the things of God, we're bringing heaven to earth in a tangible way. Every time you volunteer, every time you help somebody that can't help you back, every time you seriously pray for somebody, every time you confess and reconcile, every time you uh, uh, love somebody enough to confront them, every time you remember in the middle of the day that God is with you and you give thanks, every time you use your spiritual gifts, every time you wait patiently, you bring heaven to earth. And I, I want to close with this. I, I've been thinking about Simeon a little bit. 
I'm thankful that he didn't give up, you know. But every day he lived with expectancy because he believed in his spirit, in his soul, that one day he would see Messiah. So every day, I don't know how long, how long he'd lived, but let's say he was in his 80s. Every day he wakes up with anticipation that today might be the day I see Messiah. And we are told as followers of Christ to live every day, every day, with anticipation that today might be the day that Jesus comes again. We're called to live that way. Simeon is our example. He lived in great anticipation, and we're called to live that way too. He never knew what day it was. But I guarantee you this, he wouldn't have been called righteous and devout if he didn't live in such a way every day in anticipation that one day he would meet the Messiah. And we can be like Simeon. One day, we get to meet Messiah. And it might be today. just might be today. Thank you, Lord, for the hope. And thank you for the, um, the idea that it's not so much that we get what we're waiting for, but... Who are we becoming while we wait? Help us to be the people that you called us to be. Help us to live like people of faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.